And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hey folks, welcome into On to Waveland, presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Patrick Mooney, and this is Ant Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic, and you'll notice that it is, uh, what, 33% lighter for this recording. It's just you and me, Mooney, and we just thought that would be reflective. Uh, you know, it's the first post-trade deadline recording. We're like, you know what? Somebody's got to go. And Sahadev, I mean, he was a rental. You know, he only had he only had one more year on his uh, contract, so he got moved. But we we picked up some some mighty enticing uh, podcasting prospects in the deal. Yeah, I mean, Sahadev gets to go to the Athletic New York. It'd be a good change of scenery for him. He'd been an original hire at the Athletic, and you know things had gotten a little stale. And you know he his contract people demands had, were so out of whack well, that you know well people said, had said the podcast had broken. Yes, you know, they, yes. they said it broke, and we just. Uh, <laughs> So, oh, isn't it good? We can chuckle. We can <laughs> laugh. See, uh, obviously, we we joke in relation to uh, the trade deadline late last week. It was on Friday. We're recording this on Tuesday. So there, there has actually been a few days and uh, even a zombie series of baseball between the Cubs and the Nationals. Each roster really deconstructed in the process of the trade deadline and um while three days isn't isn't going to be the scope of people thinking about processing reevaluating and adjusting to the new reality of the cubs it certainly is enough time to at least step back and say okay there's no more shock i mean this this has happened this is the reality now of the cubs and then to reflect on what does it mean both for the things that came before. And I don't necessarily mean like at a nostalgia level. I mean like extension talks and like how it came to this. And then for what comes next in terms of, okay, so they've had certain infusions of talent. There's one deal in particular that I want to talk about in relation to that. Um, and then what the off season is going to look like. And so that's that's kind of what we're going to do on this episode is, is not really get into the nitty gritty of the trades, uh, both because you can do that. There's actually already been multiple fantastic write-ups at The Athletic from Patrick and Sahadev about the trades specifically, and also Keith Law dug into the prospects. And I mean, there's just a bunch of that stuff that we don't need to get into here, but I think it's a little more compelling for us to take a, just a bigger picture look at where things stand. Um, so I guess to set that up, let's let's put it this way. Once the Anthony Rizzo trade went down, Mooney, and so we, I believe you were traveling um, to Washington on the last episode. It was just me and Zahadev. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. And, you know, our perspective then, we were recording before anything else had happened, was 
something to the effect of if you're trading Anthony Rizzo, it, it, you have to be a little less surprised if the other guys are traded. And I was still left pretty surprised that Javi Baez went. But upon reflection, was that just was it like Jed said, you know, there was there's no sense in going halfway that it does make sense that if you're going to trade one or two of these guys, just just do it. Just rip the mandate off. I do think it was surprising that they didn't, you know, it, it just seems like after after years of them kind of kicking the can down the road, I thought there would have been at least one moment where like, oh, that doesn't make sense, or another team didn't quite get the, the value reading they wanted, or they would have held out hope for, you know, this kind of eyewash idea of like, you know, we want to be on good terms with them you know, with an extension talk or to have something to build around. So uh, that to me was something that, you know, in a vacuum, I thought made a ton of sense of like just clean house because I think, you know, this team in a lot of ways, I think needed it. Um, I think this is what teams do and it's something that the Cubs had really delayed for a long time and it's not like you know they were at all on a playoff bubble here i mean you know the cubs can finish in fourth place with or without anthony rizzo chris bryant craig kimbrell javier baez like i mean jed in year one i thought maybe would have uh stopped short of just going all the way uh on this one but um you know, I can see it really, like I said, in a vacuum, if you're looking at like the whiteboard in his office of like all the names they come in and, you know, what you're kind of uh, saying internally in terms of the talent you got and, you know, the money off the books and the flexibility coming up. But I mean, that's just not what fans want to hear and understandably so. Like now it's really on them to prove it and turn these cost savings and prospects into like actual legitimate big league currency. And that I would say is a gigantic question mark that they don't even really know the answer to. Yeah. I actually, I'm glad you went there. I wasn't going to go there yet, but I think it's an important point to put in front of people that when Jed Hoyer now says, you know, okay, so we've, we've made these moves. The reasons are out there. It, it has created more depth in the farm system, more financial flexibility, et cetera, et cetera. I think you, there are two things you take from that. One is agreed. I can see it too, but let's see what you actually do with that going forward. Cause it doesn't really, you can have all the flexibility in the world. It doesn't really matter if you don't actually deploy it to your advantage. So we'll see. And then the second thing is, I think he's probably quite right when he says, we don't quite know what that's going to look like. I think, I think people, have struggle with the idea that a plan, capital P plan, sometimes involves a lot of uncertainty. Sometimes your plan is, we don't know what next year is going to look like, both because of the CBA and because of their own internal evaluation. So let's at least for now, put ourselves in a position to try to be able to go multiple paths, depending on what happens. Sometimes that's the plan. Because None of us know what free agency is going to look like this year. We don't know when it's going to play out. We don't know how it's going to play out. We don't know how the CBA is going to impact the deals that players take. 
And even retroactively looking back, we don't know how they're going to relate to whatever extension and treaties the Cubs made to these players because the world might be changing soon. And so, and that isn't a defense of the Cubs approach. That isn't like playing Homer to the front office and ownership. It's, I'm just trying to be realistic looking ahead to the many unknowns that are out there. And probably the worst position you could be in right now is like very locked into a dogmatic, here's what we're doing going forward. I don't think that makes any sense uh, for the Cubs or any club right now. And so I think at that level, I can appreciate the extreme flexibility the Cubs have now bought themselves. I mean, in terms of prospect currency, if we want to call it that, and financial currency, if we want to call it that, they've got as much as any team in baseball. Um, but, you know, we got to see it in action and we got to see what that's going to look like. And I think that no one, I, I think everyone has a right to be dubious about what will actually take place this offseason. And I think what you'll hear from me, uh, and you know, I, I obviously come at this from a fan's perspective, but also I, I like to think of myself as a an evaluative fan. Like I'm I'm seeing what's happening. I'm not ignorant to what's happening. And I think the approach that you'll get from me is until that CBA is in place, it expires on December 1, I'll probably be more open to the idea that like, hey, we're not going to be the team that locks ourselves into a bunch of stuff before this is signed because we don't know how it's going to change things. And so if the Cubs aren't doing anything in November and December when inevitably things shut down, you're you're not going to hear much from me being like, see, this proves that they were never going to spend. It's really only after that's in place. And if free agency sets up such that the Cubs could be one of these teams that takes a lot of short-term swings to try again in 2022, not necessarily locking themselves into anything, but like uses their available capital to maybe gobble up some great players on short-term deals with what with the market uncertainty that will necessarily come after the new CBA late in the offseason. There might be a bit of a scramble. Then I would probably get pissed off. And that's when I would be like, okay, th- there's a disconnect here um, because there's going to be a lot of great opportunities at that point, I suspect. But until then, I'm just I'm just teeing it up now. You're just not going to find me being one of those people who is stomping their feet and breathing fire about what the Cubs are or aren't doing because I do fall back on that uncertainty. Yeah, you know, I was I talked to John Lester the other day in DC after he was traded to the Cardinals and he was still wearing Nationals gear and he said he had a line that um I didn't get to use because he had kind of repeated the other parts. And he's someone who I feel like sees things from a very high level and tries to take into account all the different factors, you know, player side, ownership side, front office side. And he said something like, you know, it's part of the business, which is the cop out that everyone uses. Like, and that's really what this is. I mean, Jed and Theo, when they showed up, uh, in Wrigley Field to take over baseball operations. Thought they were going to have a lot more money to spend than they did on the front end. That strategy did change somewhat in part because of the collective bargaining agreement that came behind it and limited their ability to spend in the draft. But at the major league dev- level, Theo Jed and Dale Swaim you know, all came on board thinking there was going to be more poured into the major league product. And 
you know, it, it wasn't. And, and they took those three years and a lot of things happened and they, they made a bunch of mistakes and a lot of kind of ideas and players caught fire and, and it kind of came together in, in a way that you didn't know. But then they win the World Series and, you know, there was, it seemed like, uh, you know, they, the goodwill that they, you know, kind of created was just immediately squandered as an organization. And it became this kind of year after year. And I think why, you know, players are looking at it like, you know, where was some of the support, the kind of reinvestment of like, you know, yes, it was Craig Kimbrell, but it was only when Ben Zobris took an unpaid leave of, leave of absence. And it was in the middle of the season instead of the front of the season. And the bullpen was a total mess at the beginning of the season. And then, of course, no one saw this like black swan event of COVID-19 and a pandemic. And, you know, what do the Cubs do? They just slash over 100 employees and slash the baseball operation budgets and trade you Darvish right at the time he figures everything out and is like the most entertaining pitcher on the planet. So, you know, this, you know, maybe there's some like CBA wrinkle that the Cubs are going to exploit and maybe it's going to be great um, that they have Nick Madrigal with his contact skills when Theo's tinkering with all the rules. But, you know, they, they're going to have to earn back a whole lot of trust right now. And it's crazy to say that five years after the winning the World Series, but um, they're dubious, I thought was a great word. I always hear Larry David's voice whenever someone says that. But I think that is the default setting for everything the Cubs do until they have like a legitimate winning record again. They start signing free agents or any of these prospects do anything more than have a couple of highlights uh, floating around on Twitter. Yeah, because it all tracks back to, and I'm not even someone who's totally all up in the Cubs shit about not spending, and I do agree with some of the perspective that like, hey, 17, 18, and into 19, they had one of the top, they had a payroll that was acceptably high for their standing in the league. I, I do buy that. But then it was, like you said, the lack of reinforcing the roster into 2019 was, that's when you started to be like, this doesn't make sense. Well, maybe that's maybe that's even the wrong way to put it, it because it would have been it would have been spending up to the second tier of the luxury tax. And I, I mean, I remember going into this exhaustively about some of the really, really big time free agents that would have filled significant needs and holes on the roster, a, an offense that broke and the wherewithal to even pursue those free agents was just not there, just wasn't there. And it was um, that was frustrating because the idea was if you're this one big money behemoth in the NL Central, you're the one who can paper over your mistakes. You know, you sign a Jason Hayward and it doesn't work out. You're supposed to be able to work around that. And it it came to be in 2019. Now, this was before the pandemic. It came to be that maybe that wasn't going to be the case. Now, was that a one-off? Is there other, are there other explanations for what happened well, we don't know because then 2020 did happen and the pandemic did happen and we didn't get multiple years to evaluate, okay, here's what was happening financially, right? Um, and it sucks because I like to have sort of a consistent message for myself and my perspective that I'm sharing with people that I'm, that, that I'm digging in on. But the reality is the pandemic was such a, yeah, black swan. That's right. It's black. It's such a black swan event that you can't, that it, throws everything that you thought could be planned for off kilter. And 
I don't have any, um, I don't have any sense of like what information that year provided us relative to what the Cubs are going to do long term, because I think it may have just been such a fluky one off thing that especially stacked up against a new CBA that now it's like, okay, got it. Now we have another thing that's like, well, we can't really evaluate this until we see after this. And um, again, that's where we have to leave it. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, I do want to talk about, um, you mentioned Nick Madrigal, and that was actually, to me, you know, I, I'm divorcing in my mind the the fan emotional stuff of the trades, because that's, because the Craig Kimbrell, tra- Craig Kimbrell trade on Friday was the least emotional, you know, I, we knew that was coming. That was, especially if you remember, you know, they signed Craig Kimbrell, he comes in, he's slow to ramp up, he doesn't quite get ready, he gets hurt. That 2019 season, disaster, struggles at the outset of 2020, et cetera. If you had told Cubs fans on, what was that? That was early August, 2020. Hey, by the way, next July, the Cubs aren't going to be doing great, but they're going to have the premier trade chip and it's going to be Craig Kimbrell. You would have been like, what? How is that even possible? And of course it was possible because he was the best reliever in baseball from that moment until the deadline. And I thought... Uh, that trade just at a pure baseball level was by far the most fascinating. The others, the others just were what they were. They were rental position players being traded for prospects. I thought the returns were solid. Um, and, and that's, that's as far as that analysis goes with the Kimbrel trade the Cubs obviously picked up two big league pieces, uh, which is, it, it was not expected younger, uh, cost controlled, you know, sort of prospect adjacent guys. But I did wonder, and you can you can tell me I'm just flat wrong here, Mooney. There's no you don't have to protect me at all. Is there any part of you that saw that deal and thought, okay, there's at least some proof that they are leaving open the possibility of trying to compete in 2022? You know that they aren't saying all we're trying to do is tear down for prospects. We know we're going to suck in 2022, so that's what we're focusing on in returns. When you're getting two guys who are like that have to contribute immediately because that's when you're getting the most value out of them. I, so I found that really interesting. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I took it as almost even independent of the return to the Kimbrel deal that I do think the division is going to be so bad. There's going to be so much heat on this team. Um, there's going to be so much money off the books that, I think Jed's going to do something similar to what he did this offseason when the budget range finally expanded for him of like, you know, 
the Jock Petersons of the world and like kind of just load up on guys like that, give some opportunities to maybe one or two starting pitcher, but like sign a couple legit starting pitchers, not necessarily, you know, Max Scherzer, but you know, I was looking at the list is kind of unclear to me who that would be, but you know, say Marcus Stroman and there are one or two other names that you kind of circle that like, maybe just try something different and like just establish that as a baseline competency because there's no way that they're going to be competitive again without starting pitching. And right now, like I wrote the other day, like outside of Kyle Hendricks, they have to fill 130 starts next year because that's kind of the impression I've gotten of everything I've seen and people I've talked to. Like they're these two months. Yeah. Maybe someone, you know, really proves himself. I think this is going to be, there's a lot of depth starters that the Cubs have here right now. So I think you load up there. Um, I still think signing back Javi is not out of the question. I think he's such a unique kind of personality and, you know, without that pandemic, he probably is already signed and, you know, maybe the Met, he just loves New York and playing with Lindor and the Mets do something crazy, but he's also not a guy that, I don't know, if you don't watch Javi every day, you probably don't appreciate him. And there's probably a lot of, like, you know, seeing his swings. He's not had a, like, absolute off-the-charts great walk year either. That he – and he's someone who knows he had it really, really good in Chicago. So I could see that. You have Wilson. You have Hendricks. And I think it'll be this, the same thing all over again of, like, um, see where they are at the – the trade deadline and they'll probably be sellers again next year, but I don't think it's that hard. I think you and I, Brett with could build a team that might win 85 games next year in that division yeah. with some of the yeah. pieces and all that money. I mean, come on, just sign model yes. deals and then flip it when you have to. Well, and I feel like I'm not that the Cubs need to ape the Brewers model, but yeah, yeah they've, they've had some superstars, but like they've also been a team that has sat back and then picked over some of that shorter term mm-hmm. market and done really well. Of course, they've got misses like everyone does. But I mean, I remember when they picked up Grandal in the one-year deal and he yeah. dominated. They got Moustakis on short term yeah. and he dominated. Like you can do that. And in some ways, I, I wonder in some ways, you know, if Jed invites that challenge, because they, they've never been in a situation where they had, even though this past offseason was probably supposed to be it, but it didn't play out that way, where they've had the financial flexibility and so much roster flexibility in a in a short term window. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like it's it's a confluence of three things where you're like, OK, yes, our prospect might is probably a few years behind. And we don't have a lot of guys locked into the roster now, but we do have a lot of financial flexibility. I mean, they've got what, 40 million on the books for next year. And like, I mean, my God, we're not talking about spending up to the luxury tax there. You can make a lot of hay with 60 million plus in free agency. And that's to say nothing of those, of those smart trades that you never even see coming where it's like picking up some guy in his second year of arbitration. It's like, Oh, he was available. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think that, and we'll, we've got time over the next couple months and then probably some more months after that to dig in on this stuff. But as it relates to the trade deadline, I do think it's important to underscore that anything that just happened doesn't really 
tell us for sure what's going, what's coming this off season. Um, one, I don't know, I guess one last thing just to tee up and I'm, I'm just giving it to you. If you have any thoughts on it, if you don't, it's something that we'll be exploring in the months ahead. But the other thing that the, the trade, the Craig Kimbrell, Kimbrell trade, I don't know why that's like a, that's a Sally seashells one for me. I don't know why. Um, the, the, the trade involving the, the bearded closer who was really good, uh, getting Nick Madrigal presumably to play second base and lock into second base for a while because there's not really another place where he's going um, presumably means that Nico Horner is being being viewed either as like locked in at shortstop where he's he's probably passable defensively and you, the bats is what it is or that they're really entertaining this idea of moving him into the outfield either way it was hard when that trade went down for me to not immediately wonder about the implications for Javi Baez. And like you said, that if he is viewed as the one guy that maybe there could be a re-signing after the season. Um, it isn't that adding Nick Madrigal closes that door or anything, but it was almost like it gave the Cubs a lot more flexibility to, if, if they were like, okay, well, we're not going to resign, you know, if we're not going to be able to resign him. At least now we're covered in the middle infield in the short term with a couple interesting guys. And it was hard for me to see that there was no relationship there whatsoever, even if it wasn't that the decision has already been made. Yeah. I think when you're dealing with such a blank canvas, like the Cubs are now, like you have to stick to that best player available philosophy, like you would in the draft. And I think that's what drove this. I do think that this idea of Nico trying out center field is something that people within the organization have been, uh, intrigued by, uh, if not uh, very supportive of that idea. And, you know, Nico also is, it has to stay healthy. I mean, I mean, and Madrigal too. I mean, these guys, were, you know, penciling them in like they're going to be here for the next five years is part of the problem that the Cubs stuck themselves in here of like this idea of like the core versus what the Brewers do of like, okay, what's our puzzle? What are the pieces that we have to fit in right now? And, and kind of being a little more nimble. So, you know, certainly Nico Magical, maybe they are playing together up the middle. Maybe Nico's center fielder. Maybe Nico's more of like a super utility guy. We're assuming the designated hitter will be in there next year as well, assuming the labor stoppage doesn't last the entire year. So... I think, you know, if you're Jed, you got a, a piece, and also in Hoyer as well, the reliever, I think the bullpen is something that they're just going to be like, whatever, we can figure that out. I'll just wrap it up with, you know, Jed Hoyer has World Series rings. He's got a lot of respect within the organization. Um, but, you know, he's also in a position where he's, what, on year one of a five-year contract? He can't walk in there and be like, we're just not going to be good for the next three years. And this ownership group, with all the investments they've made in the ballpark uh, on the TV side, they can't be like, we're just going to be irrelevant for the next few years. Like that is the, the pressure that they're facing. That is the kind of existential crisis of they, they can't sell 1908 anymore. And, you know, they have to put out a good product next year and kind of change this narrative here and, and you know, get through this, I don't know, mourning period or whatever is kind of going on or the kind of like, little jealousies that have popped up in different kind of comments here and there of, you know, maybe you do build around Wilson Contreras and Kyle Hendricks, give some guys some chances, sign some free agents to shake up a clubhouse that probably had grown 
uh, a little stale in recent years. And by all accounts, you know, they respect David Ross as a manager, um, the coaching staff, Tommy Hadovy, Borzello, those guys. Um, and, you know, they're, they are farther along than they were they were in in 2012, but I think it could be just as daunting in the end. Yeah, um, I think that's well put, and that tracks with what the Cubs have said publicly, that this isn't going to be a 2012 situation, and um, that's probably a good place to leave it after the trade deadline, like we said, keeping that 10,000-foot overview of what is to come. We'll get into more specifics, but, you know, that's that's the most you can say after the trade deadline. Other than analyzing the individual trades, and like I said, some fantastic stuff over at The Athletic, uh, via Patrick Mooney, that's who was just talking, and also Sahadev Sharma, who is not with us today, but uh, he'll be back with us later this week. This is On to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor. You can catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation. We've also had a, we may have touched on these trades a little bit there as well. And uh, you can check that out, but also there at The Athletic. So thank you, as always, for listening. And we appreciate it. Rate, review, subscribe. Get us wherever you get your podcasts. And we will talk to you again soon. Take care. Take care.